So we are turning back in our new series to Matthew chapter 5. We started out actually meeting in person in Matthew chapter 5. We did a series called Blessed, and we looked at the Beatitudes, the first few verses of Matthew chapter 5. But there's a lot more to explore in chapter 5, and that's where we're turning next. And the series is called Kingdom Now, and and, and that's not just some random name. It's the name to describe, really, if you think about it, the point of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, describe the experience of living in the kingdom right now. Jesus is describing, this is what it looks like to be my disciples. This is what it looks like. This is what it tastes like. This is what the kingdom is. Oftentimes we kind of think, is God's kingdom really here in the moment? But, But what we're called to do as Christians is to allow others to experience God's kingdom in the moment. And that's what Jesus is going to be talking to us about today. As we think about that, let's come before our God and ask for his guidance that that we would see how he is going to use us to season people's lives and be the kingdom now. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that you have given us, for your faithfulness in loving us, that you are the God who forgives our sins, yes, but but more than that, you also strengthen us with your spirit. You send us out into your world, and you enable us to be those who represent your kingdom to the world. And Lord, as we think about how that looks today, what that feels like today, would you help us that we might be those who show your kingdom to those around us tonight, tomorrow, and every day, whether it's here in the church, whether it's on the way home from church, whether it's at school or at work, wherever it might be, that people might taste and feel and touch and experience your kingdom and desire to be a part of it because of your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we are in September. September means a lot of things, right? Some people are are all excited. Okay, now we're into fall. Others are saying, ah, Summer's over. Kind of a little bit of both maybe sometimes. But, but one of the things that's great about September and October is it means we're coming to Oktoberfest time. And, and I am particularly fond of, one, well, several different Oktoberfest foods, but I, I do have a weakness for pretzels. I, I really love pretzels. And I love big soft twist pretzels. I love the little hard pretzels. I love pretzel sticks. I love pretzel twists. I, I love flavored pretzels. I love regular pretzels. Pretzels are a wonderful thing. They, they go so well with so many different things. I remember at seminary, we, we didn't really have any kind of cafeteria or anything, but we'd have Chick-fil-A show up once a week, and they'd bring sandwiches, no, no waffle fries. Uh, so you had the, the sandwich, but it was incomplete. And the best I could do is I'd go to the vending machine and get a bag of pretzels and dip it in Chick-fil-A sauce. That brought it all together. You know, it... it, it uh, Chick-fil-A sauce, turn those pretzels into a wonderful treat. We're, whatever it might be, pretzels are a great thing, but I want you to imagine for a moment if you had a pretzel without any salt on it. Yeah, it wouldn't taste very good, would it? Can you imagine a pretzel without salt? Just just the breadiness of a pretzel, but no salt at all. Just, just bland, 
stuff that you were chewing on. It wouldn't be any good. I mean, a, a soft, hot twist pretzel is so delicious, but you take off that big rock salt that's on it, and you just have that bread. It'd be like eating a particularly bland roll. No, pretzels need salt. And, and you think about it for a moment. Think about that salt. There isn't that much salt on it. You can see the salt on there, but it, there isn't that much salt. But that salt takes that, that thing and transforms it into something delicious. Jesus tonight is going to talk to us about being salt in the world. And, and I think as we start to think about that, and we, we think about, he's also going to talk about being a light in the world, what it's going to look like to be followers of Jesus in the world. There are a lot of times we, we think about that and we say, why even bother? Why am I going to bother to try to do anything in this world? Because we're so outnumbered. How, how can we actually influence the world when there's so much more of the world and so few of us. And yeah, maybe statistically we look at how many people say they follow Jesus and we say, well, there's, there's a fair number of Christians in the world, but then we look and there's a lot of people that say they're a Christian, but it's because at some point in their life they walked into a church and it's the closest thing they have to a faith, but they don't really believe. We start to think about, well, who actually really believes? And we start to feel maybe a little bit like Elijah. There's no one really left. I don't think it's a mistake that Jesus uses the metaphor of salt. Think about that salt on that pretzel. That pretzel may only have a little bit of salt to, to whatever else is on it or in it, all the flour and, and, and so on that's in it. But a little bit of salt adds so much flavor. And Jesus is going to remind us that we can make an impact in this world, that, that we might just be that little bit of salt in the world, but it can leave an impact. We're called to be God's preservative in the world. Those that go into the world, in some genuine sense, preserve it in this moment. That's what we see when we turn to verse 13. Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, if you think about what we talked about a few months ago, if you were with us back then, we were talking about the Beatitudes, and I'd encourage you to, to maybe read through those this week if you, if you weren't with us, or even if you were, just refresh on what the Beatitudes say. But if you think about the Beatitudes and what Jesus is talking about in those Beatitudes, what he's saying is, here are the things that followers of, of mine do. That's what we were thinking about as we read through them. And, and Followers of Jesus, as they, they, they live as the poor in spirit, as those who mourn and so on, are demonstrating what Jesus' spirit going into the world is, what he did for us, what God's love looks like. And in doing that, we go into a dark world, a hurting world, a broken world, a world that doesn't really know how to make sense of itself. We're an element that God uses to keep that world from going rancid. We don't worry about salt as a preservative as much today. We mostly think of it in that flavorful sense. And, and Jesus clearly has that in mind here, too, with the way he refers to it. He's not merely talking about preservative, but, but salt wasn't just a thing to add flavor in, in Jesus' 
day during his earthly ministry in the disciples' day. You, you see, without refrigeration, what, what did you do to preserve meat? You would put salt on it. You could use that to slow down the process of that meat spoiling. And so when, when you think about salt, when people at that time were thinking about salt and they hear that Jesus is saying, well, you're the salt of the earth, what's he saying? This is a, a world that is on its way to being rancid. This is a world that is rotting. This is a world that has mold. This is a world that has bacteria. This world is going bad. But I'm sending you into the world to, to stop that. I'm sending you into this world to change how things go. So it's not just about, well, you bring out enhanced flavor, although certainly the people of God should do that. But it's much more than that. It's much more important than that. You're keeping people from getting earthly food poisoning, spiritual food poisoning, that is going to just lead them further and further away from God. Now, if there's a chemist listening tonight, they will surely make the quip that chemists make when they read this, which is, well, how can salt lose its saltiness? Salt doesn't... You can't unsalt salt. It's a, it's a chemical compound. It, it's, it's salt. Of course, we're talking about table salt here. We're, there's lots of salts out there. We're talking about the kind we actually would eat. But it, it, what does it mean? Now, there's several ways we could look at this. One we could say, and I, I think this is true to an extent, Jesus really isn't interested in getting into chemical compounds here and, and how they work. But there's actually a, a greater nuance to this than that, which is that the salt that he would have been referring to, the salt that the people hearing it would have been used to, would have been salt from the Dead Sea. And, and I didn't realize this, but salt from the Dead Sea actually has a fairly different makeup from the salt we'd get from other bodies of water or the salt you might mine. The, the percentage of the compound we normally think of as salt is quite a bit lower. Now, most salt that you harvest from the sea or you harvest um, from any kind of body of water that's a salty water, it's not fresh water, um, will have some impurities in it. It's not 100% pure salt. If you mine salt from the earth, you get rock salt, it's also not going to be 100% pure. doesn't surprise us, right? But we know that other things, you refine gold, you refine silver, you, you anything you're mining from the earth, you're probably going to need to do some refining. If you're looking at... At, at, say, fine gemstones or something, you're going to have different quality ratings based on the number of impurities in them. Whatever we get out of the earth, there's impurities in it. Salt isn't any different than that. So even though, yes, technically speaking, there's a compound that we call salt, when people were actually harvesting the salt out of the Dead Sea, when they were getting it and then using it, they were actually using that compound plus a bunch of other stuff. So how does that deal with it losing its saltiness? Well, if, if that compound got wet, the actual salt would dissolve and wash away, and then when it would dry, you'd have something that still looked usable, but it wasn't salty anymore. It was just this useless set of impurities. And that's the picture that Jesus wants those listening to have. The idea that you can have something that still looks useful, but it isn't. And some of those impurities in there actually can be useful for food in certain limited quantities, but if it's all that's left, it'll make the food bitter. Some of the impurities in, in impure salt like that actually can introduce microorganisms into the, into the food and make it spoil faster. 
And all that's actually part of the picture that Jesus wants us to be thinking about because we often think, well, we, we have two roles in the world. We can either be engaged in the world and actually making the world better, or we can withdraw as Christians from the world and not really do anything at all. But what Jesus wants us to think about is when we're not actually doing what he's called us to do, when we're not actually living a, a Beatitudes-type life, we aren't simply just withdrawing and not letting the world experience salt and letting whatever naturally comes to it come. We as the church are still essentially being sprinkled on the earth, but with just the impurities, and we might actually cause it to spoil even faster. So salt that's losing its saltiness isn't just uh, an oddity, and it isn't just a, it's not a misunderstanding of chemistry. What salt losing its saltiness is is something that's actually very familiar to these people and problematic. Maybe for us it'd be sort of like a few months from now, it's still maybe a little hard to imagine, but a few months from now when it's snowing and, and you start to take salt and you use it to, to take care of your sidewalks or your driveway, you put it down to melt away the snow, or you go out on the highways and they're dumping salt, now think for a moment about that. Oftentimes afterwards, there's some residue left. You'll see, you'll see it kind of start to dry off onto the sides of the road. Has anyone here ever gone out then and said, you know, I, I could use some more salt. I was going to order it at the grocery store, but I think I'll just go scrape some of that roadside off into a jar. I can grind it up. I'll, I'll have salt. Anyone do that? No? Why not? Well, it's not because of the chemical compound, right? Because the salt is still salt, but it's all those impurities that have come into it. it it's been used, but it's been contaminated by other things. And, and that's what Jesus wants us to watch out for. He doesn't want us to become salt that has all the dirt off of the tires of the cars that have been driving over it, leaving us where we're actually dangerous to people. Well, how do we actually reach that point? It's a fine metaphor, but... but how does it actually happen in our lives? What happens in our lives is we start to absorb the world, sort of like that salt spread out on the world, and it's, it's getting rid of the snow, it's doing something out there, but it's, it's absorbing the world as it's doing it, right? It's absorbing the dirt off the tires and the, the pollution from the exhaust and all this stuff until it's something you wouldn't want to put on your food. Certainly wouldn't put on that nice pretzel. Absorbing the world. And that's what we do as well. And that's what Jesus wants his disciples to be thinking about. That's what he wants all of us to be thinking about is how are we absorbing the world? What practices of the world are we taking in so that when we go into the world as Christians and, and as we go about our day, we're essentially sprinkling salt on the world. Are we sprinkling that pure, clean salt of the kingdom are we so polluted by exhaust and dirt and everything else that's trampled over us and we've invited to trample over us that we're actually going to make people sick? So often, we as Christians look so much like the world, we behave so much like the world, we even justify that by saying, well, that's how you get ahead in this world. We just have to, to be, we have to be tough. But the world can't really tell us apart from itself. And this is where it gets really dangerous. Because one thing when the world looks at itself and says, we're doing things the worldly way, this is how you get along in a dog-eat-dog world. This is how you do it. But then the world hears about these Christians, and these Christians are supposed to be people that follow a, a different kind of king, that, that are, are doing something different. That's what we say, that's what we profess, that we have hope in a risen Lord, and that 
he's going to be with us and, and redeem us and, and that we don't have to do all these things. When the world sees us doing it anyway, we contaminate the world further because the world says, well, if looking different from the world is just being the world but being hypocritical about it, then I really don't want anything to do with this Jesus. Too often today, that's exactly what the world says. We need to ask ourselves, am I preserving? Am I in this world, as God sends me out, preserving it? I'm taking away the rottenness. I'm, I'm keeping things from spoiling. I'm allowing more people to experience the, the cleansing power of the kingdom, and I'm coming into the, uh, bringing people into that kingdom, letting them experience the kingdom now? Or am I actually an agent of rotting? That as people look at me and they know that I'm a Christian, they say, well, he's just as rotten, she's just as rotten as all of us. Why should I bother with the Bible? Why should I bother with Jesus? If Christianity is just a way to feel good about yourself when you're you're acting like all of us out here who already know that we do rotten things, already know that we lie and we cheat and we steal, that are, are already just clawing our way to the top, then, then why in the world do we need this Jesus to do it? Why waste the time? It's kind of funny, but actually I think oftentimes people outside the church see this more clearly than we do inside the church. They, they can see right through it and say, well, this, this doesn't make any sense. While inside, we, we look out at the world, envious at how the world does things, and say, well, we can be Christians, but better because we're going to live like the world. That's not a modern innovation. It's not an innovation in this moment. It's exactly what the disciples were going to do then. And Jesus was calling them away from it. It's exactly too often what we do now. Am I preserving or am I rotting? Now, one thing that we need to keep in mind here, and I've seen commentators that write on this passage and they say, and this speaks of the calling of the clergy. And I just wanted to pull my hair out when I read that. It's not the calling of the clergy, it's the calling of the Christian. This isn't something that for the professional class of world preservers that we're going to send out there that will, will make the world okay and take away the rottenness of the world. No one could live up to that other than Jesus. No, but through the Spirit, every single Christian is someone meant to go out and salt the world. Somehow we get that confused, and instead of salting the world, we insult the world. We're pretty good at that. But Jesus calls us to something better. And as we preserve the world, we're called to be guides for the world as well. That's what we see in our next few verses. Matthew 5, 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You see, Jesus isn't content to merely have us keep people from rotting away. 
He calls us to go into the world and to guide that world closer to him. Now, the first step is we have to quit poisoning the world with our contamination. The first step is to actually be salty, to recognize that we're of no use when we play by the rules of the world, when we play the games of the world, when the world sees us grasping for power like it does. It's no mistake that Jesus starts off with these beatitudes that describe the sort of people that get trampled in the world, not the people that succeed in the world, because our calling isn't worldly success. But when we start preserving the world and enabling the world to start to escape that food poisoning of the soul, then we're also called to help them to think about what it looks like to live in the kingdom, just as Jesus does with us. Light's a pretty useful thing. We're kind of spoiled by it. We have so much access to it. Most of us, I'd imagine, well, anyone listening has access to some form of power. Because you can't, you, if you're here right now, you're enjoying the, the, this room that has power in it. If you're online, well, you can't be online if you don't have any kind of power. We, we have power, and, and power enables us to light light bulbs and, and things of that nature that, that light up our world. We don't really ever experience darkness in a problematic way, except if there's a big storm that goes through and knocks out the power. The ancient world wasn't quite that way. You, you, you had ways to light your rooms. You could light a lamp, and, and Jesus uses the image of a lamp here. But lamps didn't light as efficiently as, say, our light bulbs do. We have a few lights shining up here onto our little stage area here, and they, they light very effectively. Uh, and you, we take that kind of thing for granted. But, but in the ancient world, when the sun went down, you could pull out a lamp, and it kind of inadequately provided light for you. But you certainly put it, you didn't put it just off to the side. You know, we use indirect lighting that looks pretty. We do all these things with lights because we have so much light, we can just kind of be luxurious about it. We can do things with it that actually minimize what it does because we have plenty of it. But what did you do when you had a little lamp? You have this little lamp, you buy this expensive oil, you put the oil in the lamp. Well, you're certainly not going to put it over in the corner. You're definitely not going to cover it up with something that blocks the light and probably extinguishes the flame. What are you going to do? You're going to put on a lampstand so it's up as high as possible and shines over the room and actually does as much of what it can do as possible so you're not wasting that oil. You're not wasting that precious light. And that's the kind of preciousness of light that Jesus is talking about. Because we can turn on all the light bulbs in the world, but without him and without his Holy Spirit working in our lives, we're in a darkness much greater than, than if all the power in this whole city went out. If all the lights in the world went out, it wouldn't be as dark as the darkness without Jesus. He says, that's, that's the darkness in this world. And you, my people, what's your calling? Your calling is to offer the escape from that darkness. We see this imagery throughout Scripture. For example, Psalm 119. Listen to what the psalmist says. He says, Through your precepts I get understanding. Therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. The psalmist says, Your word, your word that you have given me, 
This is how I know where to go. One of those really great flashlights. Do you have a flashlight you just love? One that, that you know is going to light up the area that in front of you if you have to go outside at night in the dark and, or, or the power goes out, you know you can turn it on and you can really see maybe one of those mag lights or something. I mean, it just has a lot of power. God's word is so much more than that for the spiritual darkness that we experience. Jesus says his followers are that too. How does that work? When we're following the world, when we're acting like the world, when we do all the same games as the world, we're not giving anyone any light. But when we take in the ultimate light bulb, when we're absorbing God's word, when we're allowing the Spirit to speak through us and to apply his word to our hearts, what's God doing? He's then using us as his flashlights in the world, his rescue lights in the world to allow people to see. We start to do things that are sinful, start to do things as we do. We're Christians. We're, we're not yet made perfect. We're those broken sinners that know we need Jesus. But as we do, as we sin, as we mimic the world, as we sound like the world, we're putting more and more covers more and more baskets over that light. Jesus says, take those off. Because I'm going to use you to point people to me. I'm going to use you to let people see the kingdom isn't something distantly in the future that's unreachable and, and you might as well just go and do something right now because the kingdom is of no use to you. The kingdom is right now. The kingdom is experienced in this moment, but the kingdom is experienced when you see me. When you see Jesus, that's what he wants us to, to hear. And how does that come out in this moment? It comes out when we actually do what he's called us to do. When we live as he's called us to live. We looked last week at what the Apostle Peter said, reflecting on, on what good works do. And I, I want to just take us back there. First Peter chapter 2, verse 12. He said, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. What's Peter saying here? It's kind of almost confusing when you think about the first part of what he says. He says, when people are accusing you of evil, do good so that they praise God for the good that you're doing. And we think, what are you talking about, Peter? Peter's saying is, is, the world's going to oppose you. The world is going to speak evil of you for being a Christian, but live as an actual Christian. Live as Jesus taught us to live so that even as they accuse you, they're seeing what's happening in your life. And that someday when Jesus returns, they're praising God too because they realized what Jesus has done for them. 
When we, when we repay evil for evil, we play by the games of the world. No one's going to praise God at the end of time because we did evil to them. No one's going to praise God at the end of time because we slung mud. But as we do good when it doesn't make sense, when we do good to those who persecute us, when we honor the emperor even when he opposes us, and, and whatever we might think of our current political leaders at any given moment, Thankfully, we should praise God for this. We don't have anything like what they had. We do, if we think of an emperor like Nero, and, and we think about any president we've had in the United States, I can't think of any president that remotely compares to Nero in his wickedness. What does Peter say? Honor the emperor. When you think about how often now that we have our conversations about what we believe online, I think it's important to take note of what Peter says there. Because we see an awful lot of talk. I see an awful lot of talk amongst those of us who profess Jesus. Far more talk, actually, it seems like, about politics than about Jesus. And when I see it, I don't see a lot of honoring of the emperor. And I don't see it right now. I don't see it in the last administration. I don't see it in the administration before that or before that. It doesn't matter what color that administration wears. We seem to, at least a contingent of us, find a reason not to honor the emperor, not to honor the governor. And what Peter says is that's not the place of a Christian. Live differently. The world can rant and rave about the governors and the emperors and the presidents and the senators and the representatives. Let us show honor where we shouldn't have to. And let us take it to the next step, just the average everyday people we interact with, and show them honor too. Because you know what? It looks different. It looks different than the world. We should show honor. We should show care we should pray for our enemies we should love our enemies it seems like jesus said that doesn't it why because he wants us to be salt and light he doesn't want us to be more of the impurities of the world am i showing salt and light uh, of what god is doing in this world and we might say but that's too hard tim what are you talking about that's that's a great theory that's something that jesus could do but i can't do that i'm a fallen sinful human being and all of us are, and it's good that we know that, but we shouldn't use that as an excuse to, to quit trying. Because what Jesus is calling us to do is not be so good that people want to be like you. He's calling us to be so representative of me. Allow the Holy Spirit to be shown through you. And, and what we need to understand is that the salt and light that he's talking about isn't something that we're creating. God's the author of it. And Peter's alluding to that at the end of this, this, this statement that he's making. When Peter talks about the, the, the nations praising God over this, note by saying what they're going to do, they're going to praise God. He's saying that they're going to recognize what's going on here. They're going to recognize that, wait, these are people just like, just like me, same struggles as me, same problems as me, but they're doing something different. I wonder why. They're going to say, oh, Maybe it's because of this Jesus they keep talking about. 
When we act like the world, no one has to question why we act like the world. We act like the world because we're human beings. When we act differently, when we act differently even when it seems foolish, when we act differently to people who oppose us, when we act differently to people that seem to have the wrong agenda, when we act differently to people who are unkind, when we act differently to people who we just don't like, when we act differently to people who are trying to put their foot on top of our head and take our jobs and take our positions at school and take our positions in the neighborhood and and ruin everything and insult us. We're saying, well, I can't do that. But I serve a Savior who can. And I serve that Savior and I act foolishly in the service of that Savior because what He's done for me doesn't make any sense either because I've tried to take advantage of him as well over and over again, and yet he has forgiven me. Are our lives salt and light to the world? Is our church salt and light to the world? It's certainly my prayer for Little Hills that, that we'd be salt and light. We're going to get it right sometimes, and we're going to get it wrong a lot of the time. We're going to introduce impurities, but may we never just say, well, we know there's going to be impurities in there, so there's nothing, nothing that can be done about it. I found it interesting uh, over the weekend, I was reading some of the coverage of Queen Elizabeth's death, and, and there was a statement issued by the British government, and one of the things that, that they issued was a, a series of recommendations for different groups and organizations and individuals in the nation on how to understand how things were going to play out. And one of the things they did was advise churches to be ready because people were going to go to church. People were were going to be hurting over the death of the queen and they were going to show up and need someone to pray with them, someone to care for them. They were going to go there looking for answers. I thought that was interesting, encouraging in a way that people in a country that, that... has even lower church attendance than us, that the people are going to know, oh, something really bad happened. I guess I should show up at church and maybe I can understand it a little better. What are they going to find when they walk in those doors? I've heard all kinds of pastors talking this week about all the people that showed up after 9-11. Here we are on 9-11, the 21st anniversary of it. And remembering how people poured in. What did they find when they poured in, though? Why did they stop? Well, a lot of them just needed a, a quick fix, someone to care for them in the moment, and they went on. But, but how often was it because we didn't show them salt and light? And, and we, whether or not there's another time like that, it seems like in more recent crises, I haven't seen as much of a boost in church attendance, and I think maybe it's because a lot of people assume there's nothing to be found in the church anyway. It's just a bunch of impure, saltless salt. But when the individual person walks through, Maybe you tune in tonight and you haven't listened to a sermon in who knows how long, if ever. My prayer is that you hear actual salt, something that that is cleansing and purifying, something that provides you with light. And may all of us, as part of the church that are already a part of it, be showing that salt and light to the world that that people get the sense of, of a God who can actually do something, a God who actually cares, and his people that actually care, a kingdom that they actually want to belong to. We need to understand that we may be small, we may be very limited in the face of all the world, but God's going to use us to preserve and to guide. He calls us to be ready, 
He calls us to follow that we might do that. May we pray that that's what we do today and every day. Would you join me in prayer? Father, too often we, we don't show salt and light. We just add more of our own impurities to the, the lives of those around us. But Lord, would you use us to be those who do show salt and light, who do care, who do love, who don't respond with evil for evil, that when the world does things, when those we dislike do things, when our political opponents do things, when, when our coworkers do things, when our, our neighbor that drives us crazy does things, whatever it might be, Lord, may we not respond in kind, but may we respond as those of the kingdom, just as you have responded to us. Lord, I pray if there's someone on, online or here tonight that has never responded, that you might enable that person to see past the impurities that are in your church and see you and see how you call him or her into your kingdom to be a bearer of salt and light. And, and yes, with all the rest of us to, to make plenty of mistakes but to be used by a kingdom that is present and real and now and speaks to our world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.